0: How are you doing? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks for having me on today. It's a pleasure. Um,
0: Before we start our regular programming, um, I tend to I've you know I've started asking that question when the pandemic hit, and um, well a bit I would say a bit later than when it hit, but um, I'm you know like where my question usually is you know like where are you from, and you know um, I would I would start by asking you know like where are you from also how has been the pandemic for you so far i'm
1: based in new york city i live right in manhattan which obviously was very hard hit when everything began but i was able to use this time and take what was certainly a difficult period but use it to really make the most of it and certainly I was lucky health wise. I was able to stay indoors. I didn't have a job that required me to be out. So I was able to be very safe and cautious. I did suffer from some of the social distress. Certainly, those first few weeks, staying at home in my apartment, isolated from others, was challenging. But I was lucky that I found a group of people and we had regular contact to help relieve some of that. And then I was able to make use of my time and the really wonders of the internet, where we could reach out, connect with people, get work done, move forward on projects. So I actually got some silver linings out of this because I was able to focus on projects without the FOMO of, oh, what's everyone doing this weekend that I want to be doing instead of the work I needed to do. So I think I I was lucky
0: and came through this okay. And, you know, like there's a few things that, you know, like just, you, know, you, you, you talked about, you know, like kind of the, distress or you know, I like kind of, you know, like some some warning signs of, you know, like have you have you seen that um, you know, like grow over some of the people you knew as well? You know, like because you know like I have a feeling that and this is always like the same comment I make after asking that question is I have like a, a feeling that we're gonna have to deal with almost like a post-traumatic stress situation after All of this, whenever it does finish, finishes.
1: I think so. And I've seen it go different ways for different people. I had a couple friends who moved to sunny locations and said, this is great. I don't have to pay Manhattan rent. I can work remotely. I get sunshine. I get outdoors. They get all these things that you don't get in New York. Now, granted, in New York, we had other things like plays and museums and a whole bunch of things we weren't doing during the pandemic. So, some people said this is an opportunity for me to get different experience, to get some things I don't normally get because they were no longer tied to driving distance, commuting distance to their office. But I've seen other people where they had that stress of being together. I know families with young kids where they were all locked together. That was very stressful. I know people who are trying to be more careful even today. They might be immunocompromised or elderly and they still feel locked in, I'm gonna say claustrophobic, not in the clinical sense, but in that I'm a bit trapped. I don't have the life back that I used to have before. And I think they've really gone through this for a long time. And it will take more than just a Ollie oxen free when this passes. Not that it's ever gonna pass as simply as one day it's gone. But to your point, I think having that recognition that this is a deep cut. And it's going to take time for it to heal psychologically, uh, and that's something many of us are going to have to invest in.
0: the 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 other thing I, I'm, you know, like I need to ask is, you know, like and and there's really no pun intended, but you know, like you, based on you know, like kind of our outside perspective in Canada, and you know, like uh, at, at, you know like how it has hit initially New York, um, which you know, like. You, some could you know coin the term again, no point intended here, but kind of ground zero of the um, news reporting of how you guys have been hit harder um initially. How was it for you? you know, like kind of seeing this, you know like that, you know like there were there were s- strong and and tough images to watch at some of the you know like these newscasts. Certainly, it, it
1: was, as you said, it's ground zero. We were the first major city outside of China to really get a spike. I wouldn't say only. There were some other cities having it in parallel. But because we're so international, because we have so much travel, and because we really are packed closely together, you, you get on the subway, and you're literally breathing six inches from someone else's face on your morning commute. So it just spread like wildfire. And we did have the hospitals weren't prepared for it at first. So we had images like the morgue that was set up in Central Park. They brought in the hospital ship that sat on the river next to Manhattan. And those were all very ominous. I can tell you, so as a New Yorker, I like many people, I don't have a washer and dryer in my apartment. I have to go down into my building in a communal area. And those first couple weeks where we really didn't know how things are being transmitted. We didn't understand how severe this was. I remember thinking, as I'm going to do laundry, how much of a risk am I taking just doing Hmm. laundry? Right, Something so basic, but am I risking my life? Am I being safe enough? And I'm wearing my mask. I'm bringing the wipes to wipe down the machines as I touch them. But that's the mentality we went through at first. But as you alluded to, New Yorkers have this New York tough mentality we've gone through a lot over, you know, certainly 20 years ago and, uh, and other events and we knew we'd get through it. And thankfully we, we did.
0: It's, it, it's, um, the way you describe it, you know, like I, I, I can't, you know, like I can, I cannot, you know, think, you know, like I can, I cannot miss, but, but by thinking about, you, you know, like, I would say that, you know, like you sound like someone that's pretty stable, you know, mentally and psych, you know, and, and, and you know, and I cannot imagine what it would be for someone that, you know, like as any of these germaphobes or, you know, like any fragilities, you know, like any, any things that, yep. you know, like any weaknesses, you know, like it must have been and, and, and maybe still is a freaking nightmare.
1: New York is a tough place for those folks to begin with. I'm not calling out those specifically, but New York is definitely a high stress city. It's a type of place where you're always fighting in some way. There's always something and you're you're fighting with your your landlord, you're fighting to find a new place, you're looking for a new job, you're stressed at work, even getting on the subway, there are mornings, depending on the subway line you're taking, you get on the subway and oh, the subway, there must have been some delay because the subway car is crowded and you're going to have to wait two or three cars for everyone else on the subway to get on first before you can get in. And that's your morning commute. You haven't even shown up to the office, but already there's that frustration. And that's part of New York. I happen to like the challenge, even on the days where you say, "Ah, oh, you know, I need that subway to come. I can't wait another two or three for them to, to finally have room for me that's part of new york and if you are at the point where you have other things going on that's already you know burdening you mentally so i said these little things now really take
0: their toll uh, new york can be a very tough place yes and you know like but you know like there must be you know like people that you know like again you know like it's always kind of a a little thought i give to you know like the people that and you know, like I don't consider myself. You know, like my wife would say that. You know, like I'm I'm socially awkward. You know, like I'm trying to find. You know, like, even though I I've run this podcast for almost three years now. But you know, like I would say that. You know, like I'm 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 much I'm much more comfortable in 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 you know tighter settings. You know, like you know, like with with a few you know a couple of friends. You know, like coming here and you know, like than I am at you know like big crowds, um, and parties and all that. The other thing is that you know like even though I didn't mind being alone, watching Netflix or whatever, after a while I was actually feeling an urgency to meet with people, to socialize, and um, I cannot imagine for someone that al- already felt isolation you know, going through that and still going through that, actually, you know, like, so it's a, yeah, you know, like, there's always like, kind of a thought in the back of my mind about this. Um, One slight silver line that
1: came out of it is, I think, as we talked about the pandemic, people were talking about the mental health issues. And they're saying it's not just the physical concern, it is that isolation, it is that mental health, and a lot of organizations did step up and offer support and still have support, whether it's community groups, religious groups, government organizations, hospitals, social services. There's a lot of groups out there. And, you know, certainly so if you've anyone... you've seen that in New York. You've seen that in New York, Mark. Uh, in New York and certainly around the US. I can't speak to other other countries, but, you know, I think most people in the US, if you are feeling isolated or stressed or having a problem, there should be local resources. Reach out to your community health services, call a hospital and ask them what services they either offer or know about, can recommend. Talk to a local religious organization, look up some local nonprofits. All of these groups, if they themselves don't provide that type of service, they can certainly help guide you towards some. And I think as a society we have done a good not perfect but good job moving forward and trying to provide more mental support
0: because you know like here in quebec you know, like there was like um all of a sudden the the news media have you know like come kind of surfaced a lot of feminist side you know like so so it was just horrific, you know, to watch the news where you know like almost like week after week, if it was you know, not in two in a week, where you know like wives and 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 girlfriends and you know um got killed. You know like it was just it was just awful. Um so we saw you know like kind of the public um the government you know like pushing out ads pretty much around this subject matter you know like where, where you know like they would they would try to englobe this into mental health but you know i like kind of the, like the, the the angle at which the ad was played was you know like around you know like just don't pretty much you know, like don't beat the shit of someone but you know like talk to someone you know, like so it was it was as straightforward as that um i think the isolation aspect of it has been handled but you know, like the, the, there's really something about, you know, like I, I feel that, and I'm not judging, like you said, you know, like I, I think, you know, like it, it, people are doing the best they can in, in the circumstances, which by the way, I've never been lived or, you know, like gone through by anyone else, you know, like, you know, like no one has, you know, like no one had you know, like a guidebook or manual about, you know, like, hmm, what should we do? You know, bring, bring, the, you know, hey, bring the book about you know like what what you know what the hell we do when you know like pandemic hit um and so yeah you know like it, it's just i'm i'm i don't want to underestimate the um kind of you know like you know like the the aftershock of this you know like so you know like it's always in the back of my mind you know like it's um i think a lot about this so yeah, that's why I do ask the question every single time, you know, like how you have gone through and, you know, like how do you feel the people around you have gone through it, you know, like or still are going through it. To your point, perhaps even
1: worse than isolation is when you are trapped with someone. And mm-hmm. it's someone where they are adding stress. The best example I can think of, this is a non-human example, my brother had two cats, and when he married his now husband, his husband had two cats. So the four cats came together. Four cats is a lot to begin with. Of my brother's cats, one, Ziggy got along with everyone, but Nala Nala, and my brother-in-law's cats just did not get along. Hard to tell why because the cats weren't really talkative and uh, you know not open about what their issue was. But the cats did not get along. And in the first house where you had these four cats, it was a smallish apartment, just a couple rooms. You had a railroad apartment with a upper loft area. And the three cats would be on the main area. And poor Nala, because she did not get along with these other two cats and was kind of outnumbered by the other two cats, she would spend most of her days up in the loft. When she would come down for food, she'd come down, she'd basically stay on the counter. She wouldn't go on the floor where the other cats were. She'd want to be up on the counters away from the other cats. Sometimes she would perch herself up on the refrigerator because there she could keep a view on what's going on and it was you couldn't really sneak up on her. And I remember thinking this poor cat, because these were all indoor cats. They're living their entire lives in maybe a thousand square feet or so. And this cat, she's confined to a thousand or so square feet, which in and of itself isn't necessarily bad, but there are two other people in that small area who she is afraid of who she doesn't like to be around and she's always on guard and what type of life that must have been for her to always just feel stressed in her own home, that's a tough way to live. And so for folks who maybe the marriage wasn't great, maybe there were some issues and now you're confined together for months on end and you're not going to work, you're not socializing, you're not seeing other people and you're stuck with each other that can really amplify some of those problems. And you don't even have that, well, at least I'm home. When we have stress at work, like, okay, well, I'm, I'm home. I can relax. I can watch TV and put behind me or read a book or just do something where I'm away from the stress. But when the stress is in your home and you can't leave your home, that is just nonstop. That's someone pressing on the pain point with no relief. And that's not a great way to live.
0: No. And, and you know like you you the it's almost like an anthropologic <laughs> analysis of you know like how these people must feel you know like the the almost like Trenton all the time and you know like it must be crazy you know like just just crazy um I want to go back to you know like the the um pretty much like the the regular scheduling of that um, <laughs> of that show. Um, I want you to bring me back to your upbringing, Mark. Um, kind of you know like where you you know like where you born, um, the siblings, the family picture, you know like the the kind of kids you were, the old thing. I was born in the New York area, raised by two
1: wonderful parents, and have one brother. We were pretty typical Jewish suburban family. In the 1980s. And my own upbringing, I am very much a classic nerd. Think about any movie, TV show that depicts nerds in the 80s. That was me. I fit the bill to a T. And so it was challenging at times because I was very smart and academically did well, but socially did not do well. I didn't fit in with the other kids. I had the bullies picking on me. I didn't have a lot of friends. And so it was a very challenging time to grow up that way, where I was lucky to have a loving, supportive family. I was lucky that I was smart and was able to be in schools that provided resources for me to make the most of it. But socially, even just having to walk home from school and think, okay, You know, it's almost all time to leave school. I gotta prepare. Are the boys gonna get me? Can I get home before they can catch me? That was my daily routine for some years, and that was very tough.
0: The so, so you could be like the intimidation would go to the level of violence. Yes, I would. It began
1: when I was in fourth grade, and I am young for my grade. In some school districts, I would have actually. Been a year back uh, for various reasons because we moved around, I wound up making the cutoff, even though I wasn't supposed to. So as a fourth grader who was maybe closer in age to some third graders, I would get attacked by multiple fifth graders. Right? It was just not even a one-on-one fight. It was me versus a couple people at first who were all bigger and stronger than me. And back in those days, this is before the zero tolerance on bullying. So they'd attack me, I'd go home, my parents would see I was attacked, call the school, kids would get in trouble, next day the kids have detention. Well, day after that, they're out of detention, and they're kind of mad about gang detention. So the cycle just repeated, and the school said, well, it's not happening on school property, so we really can't do anything about it. Classic. Yeah, that was uh, growing up for me for a number of years.
0: Brothers and sisters? Uh, one brother one oh, younger brother michael younger okay um jeez you make me think about you know like it's pretty, you're pretty much describing here um <laughs> so it, you know like it's funny because you know, like I, I you know like you talked about the fourth grade i think it started earlier than that and then my my sister yeah initially my sister kind of followed through she was three years longer um they, they had a hard, well, you know, if, if you're too good at school, you know, like, it's pretty much hard to kind of insult you about, you know, I like kind of, oh, you just had 90, you know, <laughs> you know, like, it's hard to insult you, but my sister, which was, you know, like we didn't know at the time, but, you know, she was sick, um, didn't have good grades, you know, like, so they would attack me through her, um, not necessarily attack her, but, you know, like just, tell me, you know, you know, like how bad my sister was school or whatever. And the fifth grade, I started fighting back and uh, literally fighting back. And when I started high school, my first year of high school was actually just like the first few months were just me fighting almost every evening. You know, like anyone would say anything. Say, want to fight? You know, like it was just, you know, like I didn't want that cycle to repeat itself. So, I would not tolerate anyone trying to make fun of me or say something because, it, you know, like I was actually I, I joined high school in what was called you know like kind of the nerd classes. The other thing that happened as well is that you know, like I stopped studying to keep being at those nerd classes though, you know, because it, you know, like for me, it was just like a label I couldn't stand, you know, like it was just too much for me. Um, so yeah, you know, like that's why, you know, like there's, there's, you know, it can make me think of, you know, kind of my, (laughs) my grad school. Um, so how do you, you know, like, what do you do, you know, like, you know, like aside from kind of running fast and, you know, how do you, how do you feel about that at the time? It was a, a difficult way to live.
1: My parents did get me karate lessons to teach me a fight back. But even with those lessons, when you're just outnumbered or people who are stronger than you, it only only worked so well. Uh, eventually, it would be fewer bullies, and sometimes I'd have one-on-one fights. I could hold my own. I'd still ultimately lose because I was the nerdy kid and they were the jocks, but it wasn't quite so one-sided. And I am very glad today we have taken a different approach and schools say this is not acceptable because that was very tough for a lot of kids to grow up. I feel I still have mental scars from having gone through that.
0: It's funny, there was um, a Facebook group uh, that, you know, like from our iSchool that opened quite a few years ago. But, you know, like I remember... You know, like kind of remembering some of the names that we, you know, like a lot of people were like, "Oh, how sweet!" You know, like I remember my best years in life, and blah 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 blah, and and some of the names that you, like, I remember, you know, like people were just picking on them for whatever reason. You know, like there's no good reasons for you know like being picked on, but you know, like, and I remember some responses and replies were just like, "Oh yeah, yours were great." You know, like this is the darkest most horrific years of my fucking life you know like the, the 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 response was quite violent i was like oh shit you know like I, I i didn't expect that but now that you you know you kind of think back about it i definitely see you know like what, what you're you know like pointing you know like the, the kind of the scars you know like um it was it was kind of like it it, it um blew my mind you know like kind of to read to deposit um, leftovers memories of, you know, like these five years, you know, like for us, high school is pretty much five years. So, you know, like for for these five years, it was uh, really, really weird.
1: Yeah, a couple students, when you are socially outcast, when you are attacked physically or socially, psychologically, it can be extremely painful and you're showing up every day to an environment where you feel on guard, where you know you're going to be attacked, whether it's jumped in the hallway or just socially made fun of or ostracized, and it's a tough, stressful environment. Do
0: you um, did did things change when you went to high school? We moved in seventh grade,
1: and so I moved to a new school. There were a couple kids who, one, I think had a little instability, but it didn't last too long for the physical attacks really had waned by that point. Socially, I was still, still the nerd, still isolated. You had the classic jocks and nerd divide and, you know, I was, I was a social outcast Locker room was always a place where you just changed quickly and got out of there. But I'll share at my 20th reunion, my 20th high school reunion, a lot of the people I hung around with, a lot of the other academically uh, strong students didn't go back to – didn't make that reunion. I wound up speaking most of the night to a bunch of the jocks. We probably said more to each other in that one night. Than we did in four years of high school. Because at this point, we're all adults, the social barriers, the social groupings have obviously gone away. And it was a very interesting experience to spend this time. Because if you'd asked me 20 years prior, would I ever be talking to these folks, hanging out with them? I would have said, Of course not. You know, that just I can't conceive of a world where that would happen. So things, things can change over
0: time you know like what was your you know like in terms of you know like kind of you a bit looking back at you know like young mark you know like what was your you know like where did you project yourself professionally or you know like academic academic you know like you know like what was your you know like your aspiration in terms of you know like you just in terms of school where where was i good or where was i going you mean
1: yeah i was a classic nerd so stem math and science were the subjects where i was very strong although i typically got a's in most of the other subjects as well and you know those in particular really get uh they were they were just the things not to be from the jock and bully perspective back in the eighties. Nowadays the world is different. Nowadays everyone says, look at the nerds, everyone wants to be Elon Musk, Bill Gates. They want to go up and do a startup. Now all the kids think it's cool. Schools promote STEM. The Robox contests are really cool, but back in the day it was definitely more of a niche area that wasn't as celebrated. And then,
0: you know, what did you choose for college?
1: I went to MIT, which is Mecca for the nerds. And there I studied electrical engineering and computer science, as well as physics. And then I did my graduate work in cryptography, which is a branch of mathematics.
0: That's nerdy. <laughs> yes. Very hardcore. <laughs> Tough to explain to your parents, right? Sorry. Tough to explain to parents, you know, like just like, where are you going again? You know, <laughs> yeah, they just knew I did stuff with computers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, like, can you, can you, uh, how did you feel kind of change, you know, because college is, you know, like we have, uh, you know, like our college is a bit messed up because we do have um, something called CGEP, you know, like, which is like a two or three years layover between high school and college you know like so and it's weird because sometimes people call this college here in quebec but it's it's kind of a complete different story um how how did you feel kind of you know like kind of grabbing a sense of belonging when you reach college definitely better now it was interesting because
1: at a place like mit you still had some of the social groups form. There were there were fraternities at MIT This surprises people because you think, well, fraternities, you think jocks, you think state schools. So you don't expect it, but MIT has a very strong Greek system. But even so, we're not the stereotype drunk frat boys that most people picture when they think fraternities. Still, there were the fraternities. These were the jock fraternities. These were the party fraternities. And then you had the nerd fraternities, the video gamer fraternity. So that same social distribution that was in high school, I also found in college, but had all shifted because the jocks at MIT wouldn't be jocks. Yeah, they were good at sports, but we're a D3 school, division three. They weren't the football stars at their schools and these guys did calculus and chemistry and physics so yes. it was it was on a relative basis that they were the jocks
0: <laughs> exactly Propor- proportionally to the the bookworms they were like the jocks type <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so when you when you graduate um how is it you know like do you have you know like a hard time finding a job you know like how how is it for you you know like kind of Uh, moving on from there? I really liked being at MIT. I did
1: not want to move on, which is why I then spent a year as research staff trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Fortunately, this was the 90s. It was a dot-com era. Jobs were plentiful. So even when I moved on from being research staff, there were a number of tech companies in the area. The challenge for me is I did not know what I wanted to do. And that made it hard. I kind of was just eliminating options. I knew I didn't want to do big tech, which at the time was Microsoft and IBM. I didn't want to work on Wall Street. I didn't want to go to a consulting company. I wasn't really sure what else to do. So I wound up at a startup only because I seemed to have eliminated all the other options. And doing something because, well, it seems the least bad is never a great way to plan. Now I got lucky. It turns out startups are the right place for me and I loved it. But I was not very proactive in how I thought about my career at first. I just wound up by process of elimination where I did.
0: The the um, we, you know like we, we've talked before the um, you know like the, the the beginning of the recording and and you told me about, you know, I like kind of the introversion and you know I like kind of it has been a bit of a well a, a big obstacle in your life. You know, like, can you describe, you know, like how it has hindered you, you kind of your path professionally. Being an introvert has limited me in a
1: couple different ways. Certainly, it was hard for me to do most types of public speaking. It was hard to stand up. It was hard to be a leader at work because you are standing up sometimes literally and speaking your mind in front of a bu- bunch of other people, what holds us back as public speakers is that fear, is the, I'm going up on stage and, well, if I say something stupid, well, if everyone laughs at me, what if you know, my underwear is sticking out? Whatever it is, you're afraid the, of the vulnerability. And when you are a leader at work, and by leader, I don't mean someone who has a certain title that supervises others. That's what we call positional authority. But true leadership is influential leadership. It's when you can stand up and say, I have an idea. We should go in this direction. We should do this. And convincing people, not because you say, I am in charge, therefore you do what I say, but you put forth an idea and get everyone to buy into it freely. That is leadership. But it's the same vulnerability, whether you're literally standing up and saying, oops, is my underwear showing? Or whether it's just, I'm going to put forth this idea. But well, what if everyone thinks it's dumb? What well, if everyone's going to laugh at? And so the introversion, I think, limited me in both of those aspects. And in my personal life, it was harder to make friends. It was hard to date. And back to professionals, certainly at networking events, it was harder for me to go and meet people, which limited the development of my network, which, of course, is very important for our career.
0: How, you know, like, what happened in your life so that you could you know kind of attack this or or at least see this as you know like uh an obstacle to your success both you know like personally in terms of you know like meeting you know like you know like some you know like a loved one or 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 you know like or aspiring to you know like a you know like a step up in your in your job you know like can, can you describe, you know, like what was, you know, like kind of the event that, you know, like made you realize that, you know, like if I don't do something about this, you know, like I'm going to be, you know, like it's pretty much a dead end. There was no one event, but
1: I definitely recognized that I wanted to be better. Now, some things like public speaking, I knew early on this was important. I remember back, even in middle school, when they would have us do the three-minute presentation in front of the class, I would stand up there, head down, just looking at my paper. I wouldn't even look at the audience, and I would shake, and I would be nervous. I knew I had to get better. I began even in high school by joining the debate club just to start to work on this because the debate club, I like to argue, not just arguing for argument's sake, but making a logical argument, making a point, I enjoyed that. I thought, oh, well, this could be interesting. It, it gets me that experience. So I did that. I had the opportunity to get involved with student government in college. That helped, and so each thing was a step along the way. Although what surprises people, the best thing I did for my public speaking, I happened to join the MIT ballroom dance team. I was a competitive ballroom dancer Throughout my 20s, because it's not an NCAA sport, a National Collegiate Athletic Association sport, it was open to students, staff, faculty, and alumni to be on the team. And so most of my competing was in my 20s. And doing that was the best thing for my public speaking. Now, if you think about ballroom, you're saying, well, you're not talking to anyone, right? You're on the floor dancing. There's no talking involved. How is this possibly helpful? But when I was on the floor dancing, you're out there. It's a competitive floor. You're being judged literally. There are judges standing around and they are marking whether you're good enough to make the next level. And there are plenty of times I was not good enough. You are at risk of looking stupid. You're definitely going to screw up the moves sooner or later. When you're a beginner, it's sooner and very often. You might even occasionally fall not very common but you do see ballroom dancers fall which of course you really shouldn't be doing but it is first the community is very safe and supportive the few times i have seen people fall this is one of the things i love about ballroom when someone falls another couple will stop and help them up and the audience will cheer for that couple as they stand back up everyone is very supportive there and when you've been on the ballroom floor You can have great experiences because you have those good days where you're competing well and you're making it to the finals and winning. You'll have bad days where just nothing is going right and you're not getting called back. The judges aren't marking you. But you recognize it's okay. And even if you fall, you say, all right, you know what? That was dumb. That was embarrassing. But We've all had bad days. And what came out of this was the confidence that I've gone through it. I've had embarrassing moments. I've had great moments and I'm fine either way. So when I walk on stage to do the public speaking, I do a lot of that these days. I have that confidence that, you know what, if I trip on my way out, if I say something that just comes out wrong, it's okay. It's not going to hurt who I am. And that gives me the confidence to be relaxed and do a good job. So, for people who are trying to get better at public speaking, yes, take public speaking training and practice and try it and do all the standard things, but also think about doing a dance class, doing martial arts, doing some type of theater, doing improv, doing something that is physical, something where other people are watching you and getting that confidence. Because when you make small mistakes in these other areas, it's okay. And you'll start to recognize it doesn't matter if I make a small mistake or even a big one. And that's going to give you the confidence necessary to improve your public speaking. So that was my my public speaking journey. And I had similar, maybe not quite so formal with the ballroom dancing, but other developments, some of the other areas and the skills I wanted to improve at.
0: Was there, you know, was there other occasions where you felt that you know, like it, it, it was kind of helping, you know, like professionally, for example, the ballroom dancing or the public speaking. Well, you know, like I mean, in terms of just your your introvertness, you know, I think it just gave me overall
1: confidence, and it wasn't just when I was standing up to do a talk, but just the confidence to speak up and say to my manager wait, I disagree, right? Or say it to a coworker, obviously in a respectful way, but to recognize I'm about to put forth an idea, I could be wrong, whether I'm putting forth my own d- idea or I'm saying someone else's idea might not work. And they can come back and say, no, Mark, you're completely wrong. But I had the confidence to be wrong and to say, it's okay if I'm wrong. It's okay if I'm not perfect. And that helped me move forward. That helped me take these small risks at work even knowing some of those risks weren't going to pay off, I was going to be wrong. People are going to say, no, Mark, that's not a good idea. And it was that confidence that underlies a lot of those risks and my ability to take those risks.
0: Mm. And and I guess it, it has affected even, you know, like you, you talk about public speaking, you know, like vo- voicing out your opinions and, you know, like did this, you know, like did this help it absolutely helped
1: from just voicing my opinion whether it's just talking to a coworker or sending an email or standing up in a company meeting it helps in interviews interviews are a form of public speaking you might not be at a podium but you are presenting ideas and you are somewhat literally being judged so you're you're putting yourself out there you know you could be rejected but having that confidence helps so It's in a lot of different aspects. Networking is the same thing. When you're a networking event, you're meeting a stranger, there is a chance that stranger could reject you. You can walk up and say, hi, I'm Mark. And That stranger could say, yeah, I don't want to talk to you or I'm too busy or excuse me, I got to go do something else. That's a rejection. But having confidence from having tried something where you do make mistakes and have some failures and gang through and each time gain that confidence that It's okay if I wasn't perfect. It's okay if I failed, if I had a setback, because I know I have successes. I know even when I have failures, it's not the end of the world. That gives you the confidence in all these other situations. And it it takes time. This doesn't happen overnight. It's like a muscle. You have to build it up. You have to exercise it. You have to have some successes and a few failures. And you start to say, yeah, you know, it wasn't so bad. And then you have bigger successes and you'll have bigger failures, but you've built up the muscle so you can handle that rejection and you can be more confident in networking situations, in interviews, when acting as a leader, it applies across all of them.
0: You know, like when you do, you know, like when you do find, you know, like the, um, you know, like when you do pick up on this, um, do, do you have, you know, like, you know, like it must feel that, um, yeah, you, you, you found a superpower. No,
1: I don't know if I'd quite say superpower, but I, I definitely agree with the, the sentiment that once you recognize this skill, once you recognize this new muscle, you can do so much more. It's almost like if you, if your legs are, are physically feeble and you're confined to a wheelchair because you have. Little or no leg muscles, right? They've atrophied or never developed. And so you're going through life in a wheelchair. But if you can start developing that muscle and say, now I can walk, then you can even start to walk quickly. Maybe one day you can run. How different is your life? And it's the same thing with this confidence that once you start again, and if you were like me, you didn't have it when you began. And so you were confined. You were limited in what you could do. But as you start to build it up, you start to get out of that mental wheelchair and you start to be able to walk on your own and you start to be able to engage in more activities that you couldn't do when you were confined. So I think it, yes, it certainly opens up new possibilities.
0: Do you, do you, um, you know, like, do you feel that, you know, like how much do you feel it has, you know, I kind of helped you? I think it's helped me tremendously
1: because now I am a leader at work, whether or not I have a particular title, I am a leader. I can speak in front of different audiences, whether I'm on a podcast, whether I'm talking to a handful of people, or whether I'm in front of a room of 3,000 people. I can go do that, and that opens up opportunities. Public speaking for your career is a really great way to raise your visibility. Because more people are aware of you. It's a chance to say, here's who I am. Learn about me and project how you want to be seen as an expert in an area or as a leader, or as whatever you're trying to do. You can find a venue where you project that. When I go to networking events, it's easier to meet people and form relationships. So using this has helped me in a myriad of ways.
0: And, you know, like, like. I talked about, you know, like the kind of the superpower fan finding, but, you know, like I understand that, you know, like it, it may not be as much as that, but, you know, like, um, do you feel that, you know, like you had to at some point um, kind of discover, or uncover other, you know, not weaknesses, but you know what I'm saying? You know, like, you know, like, did, did it make you? more on the um, kind of the quest of finding other stuff that you, you had to work on you? And if so, what were they? Absolutely. Early in my career,
1: I knew I wanted to be a CTO, a chief technology officer. I was a programmer, a software developer, and I think I was pretty good technically, but I knew to be in that senior position It wasn't just about my technical capability. I knew there were these other skills. You had to know how to lead. You had to know how to stand in front of lots of people and give a talk or present ideas. You had to know how to communicate those ideas to different people. You had to know how to negotiate. You had to learn all these other skills. No one had taught me this stuff. In fact, no one teaches most of us this. We mentioned networking earlier. We've probably all heard people say, oh, it's so important to have a good network. It's not what you know, it's who you know. We've heard this for years. Well, if it's so important, how come they never bothered to teach this to us? Why was there no networking class in high school or college? Why was there nothing on leadership? When companies all say, we want leaders, why don't they actually teach us leadership? Because unless you're taking an MBA program or happen to be in the business school, chances are your formal education did not include leadership training. So I realized there were a number of skills that I was going to need to get where I wanted to go that no one bothered to teach me. And it turned out, I began to develop this in myself, and I realized this is good not just for me, but for my team. So I was trying to train up others in my company. And now it turns out I wasn't the only one who saw the need for this. MIT had been doing surveys of the companies we work with, the companies who come and hire our our graduates. And the company said, yeah, here's a bunch of skills we can't find, not just in your students. In fact, not just in students and recent grads. In general, there are all these skills we want, but we can't find it. And so through a combination of of luck and having built some relationships, I got involved with developing the course at MIT where we've now been teaching these skills for the past 20 years. And that's why I turned into my book. So to your question of what are some of these skills, leadership, communication, that doesn't just mean being on stage speaking, but how to communicate your ideas effectively to people who have different contexts and different knowledge. Networking, negotiation, ethics, managing other people. And by the way, leadership and management, again, it's not just for people in these senior positions with people under them. If you've ever had to work with a coworker, And say, why don't you do this and I'll do that? Well, that's a type of management, right? It's not the authority. You're not ordering someone, but how do you work together? Knowing how to fit into the corporate world, understanding corporate politics, knowing how to manage your manager, having a proactive career plan, even knowing how to interview other people. That's something else they don't teach us. There's plenty of content on how to be a candidate, how to go in and answer these tough interview questions, but many of us have to hire other people. No one ever trains us for this. So these are the other skills I started to recognize we needed. I, myself and others in the company
0: that had just never really been taught. The, the, and how successful was, you know, like working on all these things. Like, you know, like it's probably the most important part of all, (laughs) all that work. You know, like if you're like how, you know, like both, I mean, you know, like there, there's like the success you f- you find inside of you, you know, by, you know, like just like being, um, I, I would say, prouder of yourself. And then there's like the kind of the the, the repercussion of working on, you know, like you're, you're, you're safe uh, on yourself um, in, in your professional and personal life. What were the results of working hard like that? It has given me a
1: better career a better future, more opportunities. Now I just have opportunities kind of showing up left and right, more than I can handle at times. And I want to emphasize this isn't just I took the magic pill and everything's perfect. I talked about confidence earlier. That doesn't mean I don't have self-doubt sometimes. doesn't mean I'm always confident. I always think everything's perfect, everything will be fine. There are periods where you go, wow, that was really bad. There are times my confidence gets shaken. And the development of all these skills, it wasn't something that just happened overnight or just said, oh, let me do this. Great, I'm better. It's like going to the gym, right? You don't just gain muscles overnight. It's over years. It's going and it's not skipping leg day and it's putting in the time and the work. And when it comes to these skills, I named a lot. One of the key things is to focus is to recognize you have to develop habits. So we know the wrong way to change habits is to say, oh, it's January 1st, new year. So this year, I'm going to drink less, quit smoking, eat better, wake up early, go to the gym more, read more. If you try to do all that, you're going to fail by January 3rd, if not by 3 PM January 1st. Instead, what do you do? You say, well. I am going to quit smoking. That's what I'm going to focus on. I'm not going to try to force myself into the gym. I'm not going to try to eat bare. I'm just focused on quitting smoking because that takes a lot of effort throughout January when you've been addicted to nicotine. By the time you get to April, you know what? It's not quite as much effort. By the time you get to June, saying, yeah, I really don't crave cigarettes anymore. You still might have to put in a little effort, but it's not taking as much. And now you have capacity to do the next thing, which is maybe start going to the gym, which also takes willpower, but it's okay. You don't need all the willpower for the cessation of smoking now. So as you develop these skills, don't say, Well, I gotta get better at speaking and leading and networking and negotiating. Focus on one thing. Focus on that for six months for a year. I I have uh models in the book to talk about how you can plan out what you're trying to do when, how to recognize when you've you've gotten there. But basically, you want to just focus on one thing and develop that over a series of months when it goes from this is difficult to this is easy, this is second nature. From public speaking where before I had to go and do a talk, And it was a lot of energy. It was a lot of, okay, I can do this. I have to practice and remember to make eye contact with the audience and think about all these different things. To now, okay, I can do a talk, make sure I've rehearsed my content. I know it, but I'm not worried about will I make eye contact with the audience? Will I project well? How do I calm myself down from being nervous? Those things have gone away because they have become second nature to me and don't require as much energy. So I can focus on developing other skills.
0: And you you talked a few times about the book, you know, like what, what, what's part the interest of, you know, kind of sharing that newly acquired wisdom for you and share. This is content
1: that I've been teaching at MIT for 20 some years. And I didn't intend to create a book. I had two motivations. One is that the class is very hands-on. It's not just me and others lecturing at the students but we're playing in role-playing activities and group exercises and things are very interactive because these skills are more like a sport than like say accounting or history. You don't just sit there and say, okay, I have to memorize this. I have to learn the rules, right? That's what you can do in class. Write down what the professor puts on the board and you do it. But, of course, when you play sports, okay, learn the rules of the sports. We don't say, well, I know the rules of basketball. Now I can play. You have to practice. You have to try. You have to do drills. You have to do scrimmage games. And so that's what these skills are. You have to practice and try. So the class is very hands-on interactive, which unfortunately means the students don't always take good notes. So I thought, let me write up some notes for the students, and this will just be something we can give them. And MIT, of course, piloted online courseware. We were some of the first content to be freely available online. So I thought, I can then give this to MIT, and we can put this online and share it with other people. Because again, it's not just MIT students or college students who need this. So I'm just going to write up some notes. I thought I was writing maybe about 20 pages of notes. Nearly 300 pages later, okay, I don't think it's just a handful of notes. It is a full-blown book. And so I wound up uh, getting it published.
0: What is the, you know, like the, the you know, like, I, I want, you know, like the, the listener to, you know, like kind of start somewhere. Where would you say, you know, like they they, they have, you know, because, like you know, like not everyone wants to necessarily engage into ballroom dancing classes. Um, <laughs> where do you want, you know, like, w- where do you see someone that listens to that goes Yeah, you know, like you know, like I'm pretty. I think I'm pretty right, right up there where you know, like Mark has described himself. You know, like where do they start? There's a couple
1: things you can do if you know you want change, but you're not even sure exactly what. Talk to other people. If you have managers, mentors, peers, others you respect, chat with them. Get their thoughts on. Are there skills you think I should develop or what was helpful in your career? Because I'd like to go down the path you're going. So I might not be there yet. I'd like you to help me figure out where am I short so I can create that development plan. If you're not even sure where you want to go on the website, on the resources page, one of the free downloads are the questions from the book, questions about what you want to do with your life. And that's going to help you start to plan where are you trying to go? Because if you don't know where you're going, it's hard to create that plan to get there. So those are a free download you can start with. So whether you're using those questions or you have some sense of it, then you talk to other people say, okay, well, I know I have to improve, let's say, my leadership, build a stronger network, and improve my communication skills. Okay, there are three areas. What is my plan now? Let me just focus on one of those and have two things. First, an idea of when you have achieved a sufficient level. Because these are skills we can all keep working on for our entire lives. There's no point where you say, yep, I'm a good enough leader, done. You can always get better. But you might say, I'm not trying to be the best in the world. I just want to get to this level. And have a sense of what that level is. There's not a number. It's not quantitative. It might even just be a feeling. Or it might be, I am comfortable doing X. Or I will have achieved why. I will have done this type of work. Figure out what that goal is and then create a concrete plan to get there in just one of these categories. Again, just only quit smoking. Don't worry about the waking up early and going to the gym and everything else. So pick one of these categories. Maybe it's networking and saying, I am going to get better at networking. Listen to some podcasts, read some books, talk to some people, get their ideas for networking, go to events Watch what other people do to pick up good techniques and just practice and try and do and reflect. Reflect on how you're doing and what you can do to improve. And throughout the whole thing, remember, of course, you're going to make mistakes and you'll recognize these mistakes are the end of the world. You meet someone at a networking event, you say something kind of awkward and that person walks away. Well, good news, there's 7 billion other people for you still to meet. So it's okay. And it's that experience, that confidence that's going to help propel you forward.
0: One last thing, Mark, where can people find you? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com.
1: You can learn more about the book. You can download some of those free resources I mentioned from the resources page. There's a free app that contains a lot of the tips from the book. You can download that app for free. It's linked uh, from the website to the Android and Apple stores. And that contains a lot of the content. Just pop up on your phone each day. It's like a daily affirmation with some of the tips. You can also follow me on social media. Again, touch with me. I'll link from the website. All of this can be found at thecareertoolkitbook.com.
0: dot com. Mark, thanks a lot for your time. Like it was, uh, you know, like you know, like I'm pretty sure. Like if it has helped me, it's going to help me help my my audience as well. it it you know like it almost makes me feel like um nervous you know like you know like to to attack some of these stuff you know like so it's uh, it was quite you know an 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 enjoyable conversation Mark you know like um, it makes you at least do like a self inventory and think Will about fit. you know like, yeah you know like think about you know like kind of you know like is there anything. That I, I should and could work on it makes me think a lot for sure.
1: All of us can improve. I still can continue to improve in all these areas, but no matter where you are in your journey, other people have been there. I've been in that place of being being timid, being insecure, not being good in front of other people, not being a leader, all these things. I began at square zero and I slowly moved forward. And whether you're at square 10, at square zero, at square negative 10, someone has been there and you can move forward. Because here's the secret about these skills, you don't have to be the best in the world. You just have to be slightly better because most people are just sitting wherever they landed and they're not improving. So even that little improvement, it's going to have a big impact on your life, your success, and your happiness
0: yes and for the listeners um every single link and you know like the the book link and you know like this website link are are provided in the description of the episode so you can scroll down and look for them mark thanks a lot for your time it was a really appreciated time and um yeah you know i hope to you know like have have a chance to chat you know like in, in the near future thank you likewise thanks for having me on take care